When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode of the Bird Shop Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we're talking blue grouse with Noah Davis. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 233. All right, welcome to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thank you for joining us, everybody. We're talking blue grouse today, or perhaps I should say dusky grouse or sooty or, I don't know, we'll get that sorted out with Noah in just a few minutes. But first, I do want to thank Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast. As always, those of you out there making voluntary contributions in support of the show to keep these conversations coming your way. As a thank you for their support, patrons are eligible for bonus content, like the video episodes I do with Nick Adair, who put out another one last week. And later this month, Nick and I will be doing a Zoom room, likely for both of our Patreon groups. We'll be talking kind of all things grouse hunting, previewing the upcoming season. Both he and I will be heading out west to hunt prairie grouse, but we'll also be hunting rough grouse. So that'll be live, and patrons will be welcome to join us on that Zoom room, which is a little different, but that should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I think everybody will be getting excited for the season. So anybody signed up as a patron to either of our shows will be invited to that Zoom room, which is slated to take place on Tuesday, August 29th, probably 7 p.m. Central Time. So we're looking forward to that. We do also from time to time do Patreon giveaways, of which we've got a new one this month from our previous guest, Jeremy Moore. He's got a premium training library full of dog training videos, to which we are giving away to one lucky patron, a full year membership to that premium training library valued at $250. 
And as a side note, anybody listening can use the promo code BIRDSHOT to get a free 30-day trial to that premium training library. So go check that out at dogbonehunter.com. You get a free 30 days. Check it out. See if it's something you're interested in. And again, back to patrons, we will do a September drawing and have available that one-year subscription to the premium training library at dogbonehunter.com. On top of all that, we also set up all patrons of the Birdshot Podcast with some canned coolers and stickers as a little thank you as well. Which reminds me, I've got some envelopes to pack up and ship out this week for new patrons of the show. So that's enough about that. You can learn more and sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Okay, moving on. I've got one more thing to mention before I get to finishing up this intro and packing up the truck as I'm headed to Pine Ridge Grouse Camp in the morning to meet up with the one and only Jerry Havel and Del Whitman over there doing gun fittings for us. Excited to meet up with some Upland Gun Company customers and spend a little time at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp running dogs shooting shotguns, and just generally building the anticipation of the season to come. And with that in mind, in talking about the season to come, I suspect that conditioning and getting in shape is perhaps on the minds of some listeners out there for not only our bird dogs, which is extremely important, but also ourselves. Maybe not the first thing that comes to mind when you think about upland hunting, but more and more it's something I think about with each year that goes by and each upcoming season. I want to be able to make the most of my days in the field, And I want to feel as good as I can while I'm out there. And a fitness routine is an important part of how I do that. It's nothing crazy. A lot of walking and hiking with the dog, some trail running, definitely some strength training mixed in there. But over the past year, I have been working with the guys over at Human Predator Pack Mule. We interviewed Jordan earlier this year, and I wasn't really sure how interested folks would be in that conversation, but it turns out that was one of the most listened to episodes of the year so far. So whether or not that was strictly related to the fitness component of that conversation or the fact that we were talking chuckers and bird dogs and all the fun stuff that we usually talk about on this show. But it was at least some affirmation that folks are interested in that type of thing. And with the season just around the corner, Jordan and his coaching partner, Todd, wanted to put something together for bird hunters to think about, consider, and most importantly, do to prepare for the upcoming season. So they put together a little four-week program focusing on some pretty minimalist strength training and fitness components combined with mobility and all-around movement. So I won't bore you with all of the details here in this intro. I will simply say that I'm probably going to get Jordan back on the show very soon to discuss that, possibly as soon as next week. We'll walk through that a little bit more. He's got a new bird dog as well, so it'll be a multifaceted conversation as always. But I did want to make note of the program they put together. There will be a link in the show notes for anybody interested in checking out what they have to offer and perhaps putting in a bit of extra work ahead of the season, which is, for me, likely a perfect four weeks from the date of this episode release. So I've got just enough time to complete the bird hunting specific program they put together. And for anybody listening, you go to that link and click through and download the app, you will get the first two weeks of that program free. There's no code needed. You can just sign up and enroll through the link in the show notes and you should get the first two weeks of the program for free. And it would be something like 25 bucks to finish that one month program and get the second two weeks on the back end. So that's all I will say for today. And just know that we'll probably discuss it in a little bit more detail on an upcoming episode. Look for the link in the show notes. I'll mention it again when we have Jordan back on the show and more to come on that. 
Okay, let's get into the episode today. We are talking with Noah Davis. Noah is based out of Montana, works for the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, and after moving west some years ago, has become an avid blue grouse hunter, which we will talk about at length today. We've had a lot of requests for more blue grouse conversation on the podcast, so this is a step in that direction. If anybody out there listening has other recommendations or suggestions for guests to further the conversation on this topic, I would be all ears. You can send those to me at nick at birdshotpodcast.com. But we've got our guest for today, so why don't we welcome into the conversation and onto the Birdshot Podcast, Noah Davis. All right, buddy. Well, we're on the Birdshot Podcast. Noah Davis, thanks for joining me today, man. Thanks so much for having me, Nick. Good to be here. I'm going to start off with a really weird question because it's something that has been uh, on my mind as of late this summer. Are you? Do you know what an earwig is? An earwig. Uh, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm curious if the listeners know what they are. They are these goofy little insects. They, they kind of look like a large, long-bodied ant, but they have these gnarly pincers on their tail end. Okay, yes, I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's Ooh. my reaction. <laughs> so we have them all over this, like our house and property. Oh, and we've no. like, I, I used to, the first time we started noticing them, I didn't really like, obviously they're a, I've done some Googling now, like mm-hmm. they're, they're not uncommon. Uh, and, and they, for whatever reason, this summer in particular, usually in the summer, we'll see them and we find them in our house and they like moisture. So mm-hmm. like they'll be in your shower or you'll find them in a glass that has a little, like just <laughs> the places you do not want to find these little things. And as far as I, I have read, like they're not like dangerous, like they could pinch mm-hmm. you, but it's, yeah. I don't think they have a lot of uh, pinching power, but they, they're kind of like, I mean, they're creepy in a way where they're, they're nocturnal. They come out at night, but they'll, yeah. if you like put your finger down towards them, they'll kind of like turn at you and put mm-hmm. up those little <laughs> pincers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And anyways, this has been like the summer of the earwig for us. And we're just like, I'm finding like four or five a day in my garage. I don't know what it is, but I guess they like dead decaying vegetation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. If you're doing a lot of yard work, you're going to be bumping into them. Jeez. Well, I'll pray yes. for an early frost for y'all to, uh, <laughs> to kill them off. I, I have a feeling that would probably take care of it. And yeah, to your point, I, well, I was digging up. I, I told you this, the listeners won't necessarily know, but I've been working on a, a shed here and digging the base out. And yeah, there, they're just something about the soil here or something there. There's a lot of earwigs. So one of those things from time to time, I throw it out to the listeners. If, if you have any more information or some advice on how to deal with earwigs, let me know. <laughs> well, what a terrible name, earwig. Is that, they're yes. going to be coming up to the ear. What else? Yes, awful, and, awful. and there is, there's, something, there's something to that. I, I don't know. I read it last week where they thought that they would crawl inside your ear. Something, you know, exactly yeah. like you yeah. would think and do not <laughs> want to have happen. So, yeah, they're, uh, they're pretty harmless, but they are a creepy little bug. <laughs> But that's not why we brought you on the show today, Noah. We have we have much uh, more enjoyable things to talk about and things that are a little bit less creepy. Beautiful birds and beautiful country. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about blue grouse. I'm going to use that mm-hmm. term and we'll uh, we'll we'll add some discussion there. But Noah, put us on the map. Tell us a little bit about where you're from and what you do before we jump into 
mountain grouse. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Uh, well, I'm here in Missoula, Montana now, the uh, literary center of the West, uh, particularly around fly fishing. <laughs> and I, I grew up in central Pennsylvania, hunting and fishing along the Allegheny Front. Uh, then went to grad school in Indiana and thankfully fell in love with a woman and got married. Who, and she was a PhD student at the University of Montana. So I got to follow her out here. And I've been, I was a freelance writer for a, a full time freelance writer for a little bit. Uh, but have since started working for nonprofits, was at the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation for a little bit. And am now at the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership as our communications manager for Western Conservation. Awesome. Well, well played, sir. Uh, finding finding a woman like that and making the move west. Uh, it's I haven't spent enough time out out that way, but I definitely have had a taste for it. And yeah, it's a it's a wonderful place you live in. It definitely is. Yeah, it's uh, the converging of three great trout rivers and yeah. all the wild country you can get into. As long as you're okay with grizzly bears, mountain lions, and wolves, uh, <laughs> and, and which I am. I'm glad they're here. <laughs> Usually every wonderful place comes with a few perils like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to talk TRCP a bit before we talk mountain grouse, but let's go back to the roots origin a little bit. Growing up out east, what were what yeah. was your intro to hunting and fishing like? Was it a family affair? Did you find it on your own? How did how did your love of the outdoors kind of come to you? Yeah. Uh so my my dad liked to fish a lot. Uh, he's an environmental studies professor for Penn State. Uh, and we moved to central Pennsylvania when I was uh, really young, seven or eight. Uh, and I absolutely was obsessed with hunting and fishing, which mm-hmm. was a little strange because nobody in my family hunted. But okay. I loved reading Outdoor Life and Field and Stream. Gray Sporting Journal, like whenever I was 13, like became my, uh, I, I, I still have every single Gray Sporting Journal uh, published since nice. I was 13. Yeah, my family's holding that up. But uh, where I am in Pennsylvania, where, where, where I was in Pennsylvania, I was so lucky because when most people think about Pennsylvania, they think Pittsburgh, Harrisburg, Philadelphia, yeah. in the center part of the state, I had 44,000 acres Uh out my back door of, of game lands and their brook trout and wild uh, brown trout, all the deer that you could want. And growing up, we had grouse everywhere. Mm. Uh, every single hike up a bricky stream, you know, you'd flush two, three, four. Uh, but by the time I, I started to become, I, I, I got to the age where I could start hunting the population just dove. Uh, yeah. And a lot of that, uh, since the Pennsylvania Game Commission has discovered that West Nile virus just absolutely decimates those young birds when the mosquitoes are at their peak. And so I got to fall in love with a bird, but never really got to chase it. And mm-hmm. so thank goodness there were ducks. Thank goodness there were morning doves. And I did a bunch of rough shooting with those and, and I big game hunt as well. I mean, Pennsylvania is a great state. Uh, we got the f- first day of rifle season off school every year, yes, which yes. <laughs> is, is a very special thing. Uh, but so I, I continued to hunt all through high school and through undergrad and then got to move out here to the West and while well, fly fishing has always been the number one priority uh, for me, all types of fishing, really. All of a sudden, I got to come to Montana, where there are a lot of birds, and the seasons are really long. 
and not a lot of people like to chase grouse. <laughs> Everybody likes people like to chase those sharp tails. Yeah, but pheasants and huns, people like that wide open stuff. I I, I feel like more bow hunting uh, folks going after elk kill more grouse than people actually wanting to get out <laughs> after them. them yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that definitely kind of fits the narrative that, you know, I have heard being a Midwest and not hunting much out West, uh, beyond the prairie, you know, that that's kind of it. Again, it's a common, common story that is told going back to Pennsylvania a little bit. I am definitely one of those people that sort of underestimated Pennsylvania before having mm-hmm. ever been there. Just my mind, I would conjure up visions of Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and just think big city. Cause you know, yeah. again, that's, that's what you hear. But the first time I went there on, on work for the rough grouse society, I was going into the Pittsburgh area, Coropolis, but I just, yeah. I, I had no idea the kind of terrain and topography that, that Pennsylvania, and I've seen very little of the state, but now having yeah. talked to a lot of people that grew up there and still hunt there. Um, yeah beautiful state as far as expansiveness and and the cover and country obviously the rough grouse story there is is quite sad but um it's it has a lot to offer in the way of natural resources it definitely does uh and again uh, the farther north that you go there's even more contiguous uh public yeah. lands but the, the country is a lot rougher and it's a lot bigger than again as as what people think and i think that that's what made it made my transition out here to the West so much easier because I, I was like, okay, no, you can go 2000 feet of elevation and you can walk <laughs> for all day and still be on public land. And yeah, it wasn't foreign to me, which I'm really appreciative of. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, let's, let's transition a bit and talk TRCP short, mm-hmm. shorthand for, as you pointed out, Theodore Roosevelt conservation partnership. I am definitely familiar, but give us a refresher and, and give us the, give us the elevator pitch on TRCP and maybe talk about some of the things that are keeping you busy as of late. Yeah. Yeah. Well, our mission is, is quite simple. It's guaranteeing all Americans quality places to hunt and fish, which is a mission that I can get behind. And I know a lot of folks can get behind. We're dealing with a lot of stuff. It's a, it's a truly national federal level, uh, conservation organization. So we deal with a lot of commenting on BLM and forest, uh, national forest uh, management plans, but we are also focused on CWD, the mm. farm bill, infrastructure spending, menhaden and forage fish, and access. And because I'm focused on the West, I'm doing a lot more of those uh, research management plans, the forest service plans, uh, looking at different access issues, trying to get uh, the public and the media aware of the issues that are impacting uh, Americans' either ability to hunt and fish or their access to that hunting and fishing. Yeah, got it. Is there, because uh, I know TRCP works in in cla- as many conservation groups do, they collaborate mm-hmm. with, you know, uh, species specific groups yep. and other conservation groups. Does, does TRCP, is there a separation between sort of this land access and wildlife? I, conservation is a, it's a, it's a wholesome mm-hmm. picture, you know, mm-hmm. wildlife and access and everything is kind of all inclusive, but I just wonder, does TRCP sort of take this approach that they're not necessarily working on wildlife stuff? 
directly maybe for like species of greatest conservation need. And they're focusing on these other, I just, I don't know if that means anything to you, but yeah, well, I, I, I think I get what, what you're asking there. Uh, so the Rough Graph Society is a partner of the right. uh, TRCP. And so our job isn't that on the groundwork that the Rough Graph Society is doing or Got the it. Mule Deer Foundation or the Bone and Tarpon. Or Pheasants Trust. Forever. Yeah, or Pheasants yeah. Forever. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, we are hoping to let the agencies know uh, the hunt and fish perspective and what would be the best for hunters and anglers. Uh, on, for their research management plans. Uh, and so right now we're seeing awesome stuff coming uh, up for conservation, amazing investments uh, from the BLM across the West. There was $161 million spread across 26 projects here mm. in the West, all uh, for wildlife habitat and conservation. And and so that that's the type of stuff that we're uh, trying to ensure happens uh, and Thank goodness we have all these amazing partners that are getting that on the ground, hands dirty work. Yeah, got it. That that answers my poorly worded question, <laughs> oh, and it was it was sort of my idea, and I think I was just trying to affirm that for yeah. myself. But yeah, that that yeah. paints a paints a picture. So, and and again, you working for TRCP was totally kind of a a bonus. As I was looking, I learned of you. I maybe had seen your name before. I I don't know. It's hard to tell at this point, but I was reading shooting sportsman in mm-hmm. one of the most recent issues. And you had written this, this excellent article, sort of a blue grouse overview, um, dusky Thank grouse. You. I should, I should say, we're going to, we're going to get to that. <laughs> I always want to say blue grouse, dusky grouse article. And just your name was there and I was able to look you up and find you. And sure enough, you work for TRCP as well. So again, I appreciate that TRCP obviously has a website. Is it a membership organization or not? I can't recall. We are. You do not have to pay to be okay. a member. Uh, all you need to do is sign up with an email address, and okay. then uh, we will make sure that you get the information that you want. Uh, we're doing a really good job of making sure that individuals are getting the news that they need, understanding yeah. the action alerts and the legislation coming up in areas of interest for them. And so if you want to be an engaged uh, sports person, in America, I would definitely suggest sending us your email and you'll, you'll be kept up to date. Good to know. I know, I know I get the emails to my birdshot podcast email and I, but I was thinking I was not a member, so I couldn't recall uh, if that was a thing, but all right, well, I'll definitely going to put a link to that in the show notes and let's, let's get some listeners signed up for TRCP emails. Now, if I were to ask you as an upland bird hunter, Mm -hmm. And and you're you're out west. Uh, are there are there any sort of key topics or things that come up? If I said you know what as a upland bird hunter would I be interested in or should be more aware of that you are working on at TRCP with respect to upland birds or land access or anything like that? Are there mm-hmm. any key key topics? Well, the biggest thing is that you're going to uh, be getting news when it's your time to comment. When yeah. so we're, we're going to have uh, coming up here in the future the Lolo National Forest plan, and the Lolo National Forest has a lot of good forest grouse in it. Yeah. Uh, we're we're looking a lot at the migration, the big game migrations that are uh, take place here in the Lolo because they can go both sides into Montana and then also into Idaho, but. Uh, 
and that will be your chance to tell the agencies what you're seeing. Uh, usually we give our uh, members different bullet points so and then that they can uh, see the direction that TRCP is hoping uh, to let the let the Forest Service know. But mm-hmm. you can obviously change your comments and uh, make it a little bit more Upland Bird-centric if you want. Sure. <laughs> yep. All right. Got it. All right, man. Well, let's, let's talk dusky grouse and mm-hmm. we've got to start, we got to start with this whole naming business. What's in a name anyways, Noah? I, I, <laughs> dusky grouse, blue grouse, sooty grouse. I, your article very clearly explained it. And I think, again, I kind of knew it, but it affirmed it for me, but let's, let's walk everybody through what happened to the naming of, uh, of the dusky grouse. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it's so interesting, you know. I, I feel like so many people, if if they're not plugged into, you know, the biology uh, as much, or, or you're not reading peer reviewed articles, which, you know, most of us aren't uh, <laughs> reading <laughs> wildlife biology peer review articles. Uh, <laughs> it is a relatively new uh, uh, discovery, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll say. Uh, but I mean, science is always changing and, and we do not know all that there is out there, which is really exciting. And one of the reasons why I always go into the woods, I feel like I'm always seeing something different just on, uh, on a personal level, but mm. yes, uh, the blue grouse and the dusky grouse, uh, are two distinct species. Nobody in the bird hunting world will look at you like a crazy person. If you just say blue grouse, <laughs> everybody will know what you're saying, but it is all based on, uh, different regions and habitats. So the sooty grouse is going to be in much wetter coastal ranges uh, all the way up into Alaska. They they really follow that Pacific line all the way up. And uh, the nearest place for me for cities is a little bit of northern Idaho, I believe, but then the Cascades of Washington. Okay. Uh, And on this side, the dusky grouse are in that more arid, dry, inner mountain west uh, region. And that spans all the way down into Colorado and into even some spots in Arizona. Okay. And they're and they're essentially very, very similar birds, but I know they have differing coloration on their on their air sacs, on the, yes. on, the on the throat. Yeah, and so the duskies here are going to be uh, they're gonna have that yellow. Uh, okay. Air sac and the and the sooties are going to have the red. Also, the sooties uh, sometimes it, it is it's it's kind of like with rough grouse with your um, if you're going to have that break in the band. Sometimes mm. you know it's it it's a male, but you know might be a female. But so anyway, the the sooties will have a gray band on the tips of theirs, while the duskies will be completely that really dark blue. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you see so some photos, and they'll they'll start popping up here on Instagram with some massive fan with a really pretty silvery gray band on on the the rim. That'll be a sooty. That's a sooty. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. And so, have you hunted them both? I have not hunted sooties. Okay. No. No. Uh, which I really would like to, but it's really tough to leave Montana during hunting season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that I could imagine. And the sooty grouse, as I recall, they've they've been featured on a couple of. I know. I think they were in a Project Upland film, mm-hmm. uh, and they maybe were on Meteor. They're the ones that yes. you can hunt them during the spring hoot, right? Well, I think that that's only in Alaska. Only in Alaska. I think that, okay. yeah, only in Alaska. Uh, and I, I may be wrong. Uh, one of your listeners might be like, no, we can 
we can shoot yeah. him in, in Washington in the spring. I think but. you're probably right in that, but yeah. Yeah, but but the hoot and and the duskies do the hoot as well. They do, uh, okay. And it's it's really incredible uh, walking through the woods and and hearing that. My my wife, uh, she went for a hike down the Bitterroot, I believe, two or three years ago. And they were trying to get to this trailhead and they got snowed out. So they just decided to walk the road up to the trailhead in the snow. And she got to see one displaying with the hoot Mm. and got some awesome photos of it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I I haven't been able to see that. I've just heard the echo from the treetops. Yeah. I believe, I believe that would be a, that would be a really cool, again, like all grouse, you know, they're, they tend to have Mm -hmm. sort of fantastic uh, mating rituals and, and spring behavior that, that really adds to the allure of all these birds. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, let me go over to my notes because I definitely wanted to dive into duskies. So we, we've got that sorted out. We're primarily talking duskies. That's what your article in Shooting Sportsman was about. Mm-hmm. You said it yourself. If there was one word to describe the dusky grouse, it would be up. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about where these mm-hmm. birds live. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're amazing. Uh, they're, they're, <laughs> they're some of the toughest birds. I mean, they're just some of the toughest creatures on the mountain. I mean, you think about as the winter snows uh, come up and start to pile, all your big game animals are coming down off the mountain trying to get onto that winter range, which is so precious, uh, and primarily on private land, which is a big thing in Western conservation now, that private land conservation. And then you have your bears that are going into hibernation, and the dusky grouse go up. They go up. To the tops of the mountains. Yeah, they are they are a, a migrator. They're a reverse migrator, yeah. uh, which is just, I mean, and it's incredible because most of the time you're finding them at the top of the mountains anyway in September <laughs> and, and October. So you're like, how could you even go higher? And they, they find <laughs> that, uh, which is incredible. And they, they live an arboreal life uh, throughout the winter where they're eating on those uh, spruce and fir uh, needles up there and sometimes they'll come down and I, I just had a buddy talk to me about how he was cross-country skiing uh, on the top of this pass and was able to see some tracks and his dog busted them at, at the top of this pass in February uh, but they really will like they will spend literal weeks just hopping from tree to tree mm-hmm. uh, which is incredible but during the hunting season they can be found anywhere from 3000 feet to 8,000 and okay. I mean, even beyond uh, that you will, you will sometimes find them even beyond that 8,000 feet, but I'm typically finding them between five and seven, just because of where I, I typically hunt. Uh, and there were, there was one day last September, I, a lot of the mountains here in Western Montana, and I, I mean, all over the West, wherever there was heavy logging, they're old logging roads. And typically mm. they're 200 vertical feet above each other, uh, okay. kind of in a stair step. And I had gone up four and I've got to the, uh, where uh, I, I came out on the belly of this ridge where I was going to, where I was like, okay, well, if you haven't gotten a bird yet, you're going to need to go up another one. And I remember sitting there, uh, I, I remember standing there right before and I was like, why is every direction up? And that's where that line came up <laughs> because I was like, that is, that is where you go for the, for the duskies. Uh, <laughs> if you're not finding them where you are, just keep going higher, uh, which is a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. and, and there's a reason why not a lot of people hunt duskies and it's, uh, 
you need to be in shape. This is not walking through a South Dakota pheasant field. This is a very much, you're just not, you're bow hunting for elk, but you're not bow hunting for elk yeah, type thing. Yeah. You're, I, I bust elk all the time in September when I'm going after uh, these birds and you hear elk bugling. It's a lot of fun. I've ruined a, a stalk by a bow hunter. Oof. Which I felt really bad about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going through a lodgepole, and I was going through a lodgepole stand, and uh, and he was coming over, and he was like, "What?" He's like, I'm "Hunting elk? What? <laughs> You're hunting birds? Come on!" <laughs> I could imagine yeah. that would be frustrating in the moment. Oh is, yeah, uh, I felt bad. Well, he ruined my spaces. bird hunt. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And somehow, somehow, in his mind, you know, the elk hunt was was probably of higher significance. But yeah, that's, yeah uh, probably you know, it, it's that again. That yeah, that is public land shared spaces oh, common yeah. thing. But you never you never feel awesome about that. No, no, never. But yeah, it is something that we do. Got to treat each other with respect always. Yeah, no doubt. Do you? So do you happen to know if blue grouse? Do they? Uh, blue grouse. I, I'm just. Gonna, what, I don't okay. know what I'm missing. You're fine, you're fine. <laughs> do they? Do they snow roost like a ruffed grouse? I that I don't know. Okay. Uh, I've never. I've never come across one of their snow roosts. I, they they love trees. They're they 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 are boreal. Yeah. Um, I. I, I hope a listener, if, if they know, will share that because I'd be interested. I have, I haven't come across in any of my readings or talking with more experienced. Dusty. Yeah, and it and it actually it brings another question to mind: Do spruce grouse snow roost? Because there's a lot of parallels between, or mm. some parallels between spruce grouse and dusky grouse, mm. and what you're you know living in the boreal forest, and you know we have them here, and obviously snow roosting is one of the key things that gets rough grouse through the yeah. winter. And it would seem that the conditions would be perfect for yeah. snow roosting. And it would be a, it'd be a good way to thermoregulate and stay out of some of the elements way up high on the mountains. But I, I don't like you, I don't recall ever hearing an association between dusky grouse and snow roosting. So yeah, yeah. I would, I would love to know if anybody has that answer. Do you know do spruce grouse? Snow so grouse? I so I'm kind of I'm asking my like I feel like I should, but I don't actually know that. I I'm my inclination is to say yes only because in recent years they've been doing a they've been doing a study on spruce grouse in this part of the in Minnesota, and they've been looking they've been going out in the spring and looking for spruce grouse poop which mm. collects it at roost sites. But now as I'm as I'm thinking out loud here, yeah. I can't recall if that is, if the spruce grouse is just sitting up in a tree in, in yeah. roosting in the, in the conifers and dropping, or if they're actually snow roosting. If my friend Bailey is listening, she'll, she'll text me when she hears this. So please do Bailey. <laughs> awesome. Yes. That'll be, I, I will be really interested to hear that. Yeah. All right. So elevation wise, you hit on sort of anywhere from three to nine, you're kind of hunting five to seven mm-hmm. and I, you kind of answered the question, but I was going to ask if you are, let's say if you go to five on a, any given day and you're not finding birds, are you going to, is, is elevation going to be one of the first things you say, all right, I got to switch it up. I got to go higher. Yes, I, I, I definitely think so. And obviously uh, your plant species are going to change as you go higher. Yeah. Uh, habitat is going to change, but uh, those birds, they live in a, I mean, they will live in a horizontal life, but they live, a, I think, I believe, a very vertical life, which is uh, which is cool. 
I, I also am the type of hunter that I'm like, I want to get my work done early. So if I can get up to seven or eight early uh, and then walk back down to my vehicle, hitting different finger ridges and coming out, uh, I really, I, I really prefer that. I also, I also think I shoot better on the way down mm. instead of leaning forward and stumbling, going up and then them busting out ahead of me versus and me maybe coming down and then, as well. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. And instead of me coming down and then, Blue grouse like to soar. I I think that that's probably the only thing a driven grouse hunter in England might find similar to that is that whenever those uh, blues hit that certain altitude that they want to get to, they're going to set their wings and go for yeah. a really long time, which is very disheartening if you've spent three hours trying to look for <laughs> a, a, a group and then all of a sudden you, get, you come up over a rim and they're they soar down a half a mile (laughs) (laughs) and disappear. Yeah. Yeah, Like other forms of, you know, embracing the suck sounds like it is definitely part of, uh, part of dusky grouse hunting. (laughs) Like it is in other forms of grouse hunting. It it, it really is. And I, and I, I was a college basketball player. Uh, I'm very much a type two fun type of guy. And, and I think that grouse does that. And it's really, really cool. And, and here the, the numbers of birds are good, but again, this is very big country and you're going to be walking through what looks like good habitat for a very long time. And then all of a sudden the birds are going to be there. You know, it's that old trodden phrase of the birds are going to be where the birds are going to be yeah, type yeah. thing. Uh, but I, I think that that's really cool to see, well, why were they here instead of, you know, on that other ridge that had what I think is everything. Right. Uh, but it also gives me confidence that, well, okay, they were in this habitat, so I just needed to catch up with them. Yeah. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. So, and... The kind of the kind of dusky grouse that we're talking about and is is sort of out of necessity. It's an early season game. It's a, it's a September mm-hmm. October thing, and it has to do a lot with that reverse migration that you talked about. The later in the year you mm-hmm. get, they're going higher, and a lot of these areas are becoming inaccessible. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now, if you have snowmobiles. Wow, your season, you got a good <laughs> long season. And I mean, I have some snowmobiles that... and snowshoes, maybe. Yes, yes, and snowshoes. Yeah, if you're, huh, 
<laughs> I I would love. I, I mean, there probably is studies out there, but I would love to know what the difference between my caloric output in September <laughs> versus post hold in December. Uh, but I have some buddies that have some really serious trucks um, that put some really heavy duty chains on mm. on their tires, and they can get up there, and it, it it's just more difficult walking. Obviously, yeah. once you get up into that snow, but I've I've gone after them in December. It really helps to have dogs mm. there in December, as long as the dogs are long legged enough to move through that snow. But again, I'm usually the highest I'll get in December is around five to six. Okay, uh, with that. But yeah, I, I for me, it's a really early season bird. Just because I am, this is a very real uh, thing. Grizzly bears like the rough grouse cover in uh, wh- where I am mm. a lot more than they like the blue grouse cover at that time. Interesting. Of year. So, and also the blue grouse cover is a little bit more wide open. So if a grizzly bear is going to be there, I'll be able to see it a little bit more than me crawling yeah. through a alder thicket uh, for for roughs. But I. I love that September and October uh, dusky grouse. There's a little bit of smoke in the air still from the summer fires, but you're getting that first frost. The huckleberry leaves are going red mm. uh, in these in these high altitudes, and yeah, it's 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 really special when you can connect with a bird in that type of lands landscape at that type of time. Yeah, well, I did want to ask about bears because I did see the bear spray in your, in your setup on the shooting sportsman yeah. photos. And I assumed that it was a, you know, be aware, be aware, be prepared for bears, but yeah. it sounds like there's there maybe not that you wouldn't see one, but yeah. that's an interesting uh, idea that you're hunting a little cover that maybe they're not in as much, but yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, I mean, there, there's always the risk here right. in the Northern Rockies, uh, particularly uh, as I just mentioned, huckleberries. Those are some of my favorite spots to, uh, because the huckleberries are going to be on later with the higher in elevation you go. And so a lot of crops that I'm getting blue grouse in or have those huckleberries have the huckleberry leaves, uh, which is really, really cool. Uh, and makes me know that I'm going to be eating a good bird <laughs> after that. But also, uh, the bears like the berries as well. You know, they're in that hyperphagia stage. And uh, so, yeah, there's always need to be ready. Always yeah. need to be ready. Right? As far as frequency of bear encounter, is it like inevitable that you're going to, have you ever encountered one or what's. what's so black bears bit? is very, very common. We yeah. have uh, grizzly bears here. Um, I mean, nationally known uh north of missoula and into the bob marshall and then all the way up into canada yeah uh, we have an incredible connected habitat here for them and they are showing up more and more um south uh i have never encountered a grizzly i have seen their tracks and their scat and some of my favorite covers which i then turn around okay uh yeah so i i, I think as always Driving in your car to work every day is a much higher risk than getting uh, attacked by a grizzly. But it is, it's something that you you don't take lightly also when you're in in the woods around here. That I could imagine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between rough grouse cover and blue grouse cover in, I'm assuming stem density, if I were to guess, but what does that kind of look like? Very much so, uh, stem density and elevation. But again, the rubbies, and so I, 
um, there's, I'm going to have a rough grouse piece, a Western rough grouse piece coming out here in the, um, uh, in a shooting sportsman, hopefully down cool. the road. Um, but yeah, stem density, elevation, wetness. Uh, so the uh, duskies, obviously rough grouse are rough grouse, no matter where they are, which means yeah. there's water, uh, sure. somewhere, uh, duskies like springs they really do but just because of the elevation and the type of topography that they're in it's going to be drier uh and again that translates to uh to stem density yeah lodgepole uh ridge lines are very open uh i mean you have some pretty thick lodgepole in there and also uh a few big ponderosas but uh you're not going to have as brushy understory in those areas. And I mean, it's really incredible. Once the snow starts to get down, you will start to have some duskies and roughs in some of the same cover. Mm -hmm. And that I need to talk to a biologist more about, but just this last December, I shot a a dusky and a rough from the same stretch of, of mountain, like within uh, 50 yards of each other, which, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no doubt. So when you say lodgepole, is that essentially like, is it like black spruce or something or what is it? Uh, lodgepole pine is a, is a specific species. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I mean, we, we have a lot of spruce around and that's where you're mostly going to find your, your spruce grouse, but sure, uh, sure. Uh, uh, I, I do not want to use the wrong uh, term uh, <laughs> because I, I, I am not a, uh, <laughs> I'm not formally trained in this, and, but I, I, I like to, <laughs> I like to read about um, yeah. it, it. There's going to be uh, some Ponderosa parks up in that area. And, and so, and so the, uh, you're just having good mature trees yeah. with, with some space in between. And it's deceiving when you're shooting. I mentioned it in the article. Uh, you're like, if you're, if you're a rough grouse hunter and you come out to this, you're like, Oh man, I got all the space in the world. I'll be able right. to see for 30 yards. It's going to be easy. And then all of a sudden you're starting your swing and you're like, why are all these big trees in the way? <laughs> Every single swing. You're like, Oh my gosh, I'm trying to pick out this bird soaring and it's keeping all these trunks in between. Uh, yeah. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. I think okay. I, I really was just, I, I have this, again, I have this picture in my mind of, of sort of the Western mountains and I can think conifer and stands of pine, but what species are they was that's, that's really what I was yeah. curious about. Yeah. And lodgepole pine is a, uh, uh, is a, is a specific tree. And that I just learned. So very yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. I, I think from a kind of your comments there, you're from afar like that's one of the things that looks on the surface level to me the most appealing about dusky mm-hmm. grouse hunting is sort of that open mountain meadow yeah. habitat that you're talking yes. about it's like those are just i mean they're just beautiful places to be mm-hmm. openings in the canopy something that i'm always even looking for as a rough grouse you know i love my stem density and i love being in the brush but when i think about like going somewhere else to hunt imagining myself kind of working the edge, which we're going to talk about edges in just a second mm-hmm. of, of one of those open mountain meadows, little openings in the can. I mean, that that's what just kind of looks such, so appealing to me about hunting dusky grouse. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's, and it's incredible. And, and that's where you can get 
some of those more open shots yeah uh, in in those parks when they're looking for those grasshoppers uh there in september which is such a cool thing to key key in on as a as a fly angler you know that's what you're always wanting is like oh my gosh we got some hoppers and they're blowing in and that massive brown trout's doing toilet bowl flushes on the bank and (laughs) (laughs) and it's that same thing that you're keying in on uh with blues uh and it's, it can be a, a sensory overload, but I, I love it when if you get there late enough in the morning and the hoppers have really woken up and you're stepping and, the, and they're going out in a yeah. wave in front of you and you're like, oh my gosh, if I was a bird, I'd be eating here. And then all of a sudden a bird does get up and you mm-hmm. need a transition. It's, yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, I love that. So edge habitat, again, something you mm-hmm. commented, very common sort of topic of discussion with respect to upland birds kind of paint the picture for for us a little bit more we already have a little bit but what does edge habitat look like for dusky grouse and and how do you go about finding it yeah uh i'll I'll go back to the to the parks but i i think i'll start with ridge lines and finger ridges uh you know here in the west we have some pretty serious weather events and where do those trees go Mm. Oh, when they snap, they're they're bouncing off those ridge lines. Uh, they're being pulled down by gravity, like everything on a mountain does. And so you can follow those out, and there's going to be a lot of sun. Obviously, as, there's also going to be precipitation issues on there with how much sun they're getting throughout the summer and and what can grow there. But uh, the duskies really like to be on top. They like to they like to see what's coming. Uh, sure, kind of. Not like Chucker at all, just because Chucker can see a lot farther and they like a different <laughs> level. But but similarly, they they want to be above. Yeah. Uh, and so from that perch, and f- because there's so much time getting into there, they can feed and then they can feel pretty uh, pretty confident about it. Which is why I really like getting on a mountain that has a long ridge with the finger ridges out, so I can be working a ridge. And then go down and check every mm. finger ridge, uh, and and that that is a it's it's a, an edge habitat that you don't really think of because whenever uh, you know the classic edge habitat is like oh well open to close, but those are edges when you think about it. Those, yeah, those, those ridges out there, uh, and then also the the high grassy parks. Uh, which are classic and awe-inspiring Western landscape uh, there and very easy walking in the grass. And then you get five yards into the forest and it's the matchstick blowdown, which is uh, can be really gnarly and folks need to be careful stepping around uh, because pine is sharp pine branches that have snapped uh they don't break easy they like yeah. to, they like to bend back uh so if, if if anybody's going out for duskies this year and you're and you get into a um matchstick blowdown be careful where you put your foot on that but uh i i like being uh 10 to 20 yards into uh the the forest and then okay. work my way in and out in a serpentine pattern yeah. out to the edge and then back uh and it, it, it's incredible because within that little bit of time and i mean all grouse hunters know this is like you can have your best shot 
and then you're worse shot depending yes. on which which uh, way your foot is going yeah. in, in that way uh my buddy my good buddy james and i we we were hunting duskies last year and we we had gone through a park and and we're working our way up along the edge habitat and i stepped down off a log and the bird flushed from my left to my right up and like most connecting flying shots uh you don't remember why (laughs) you connected (laughs) with it but he uh he described it after as uh as i was as if i was in a little pod and the bird and i were in the pod of the blowdown and all the action of that moment happened within this like 20 by 20 foot pod and that's that's how quickly you know you can get those wide open shots where the birds get caught out in the grass and then they want to bomb down uh and get out that way or all of a sudden you're having to do that really really quick uh shot within all of that uh within all that blowdown and these birds like like i mentioned with the soaring they want to get to the opening and they Mm want to put some serious yards uh, mile in between you and so Even if you can position yourself, and particularly with dogs, folks that have dogs, you want to position yourself downhill always if you know where the bird is. They they will flush up if you're pushing them up, but they they want to go down. Interesting. So yeah. So so and and you don't hunt with you don't have a dog yet. We'll, we'll, we'll probably have get a to dog that. yet soon. Yeah. Soon. Yeah. Soon. <laughs> we'll we'll get to that. But I I found that interesting in the article as well because again, grouse is one of these things. Definitely, many many people hunt them without a dog, and you can be successful. But sort of thinking about that strategy. So if I if you had a dog on point, mm-hmm. let's say you was sort of pointing sideways on a ridge, it, your natural inclination would be to try to approach approach that point from below is that correct i would yeah 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 unless unless you unless you can see the opening it, unless you know the mountain unless you know your cover where if you're like i'm gonna go up and i know where that bird's gonna be escaping sure. downhill and i'm gonna have that good opening uh but unfortunately i mean fortunately for some unfortunately for others they're an arboreal bird, so they are going to get into the yeah. they're going to get into the tree, and then they're going to figure out where you are, and they're going to exit in the opposite direction. And that's why hunting with a buddy really helps in, in yeah. that way. Uh, they're also a bird that you could literally shoot if you know the bird is in the tree. You could shoot three or four times, and the bird will not move. Mm. They are they are that type of and obviously there might be some listeners that are like oh I do that all the time shoot once and then they fly and I shoot them but and, <laughs> and so yes it, that, that might happen sometimes but there was uh, again just last season uh, we had worked up this little draw and um, had a dog on point and I missed one bird that came out and and we decided that was time to break for lunch and so we sat there and we're there for 10 minutes talking loud chasing around the dog eating laughing having a good time and then a bird walked out from the trunk onto onto a limb and soared down as we all <laughs> dumbfounded with our guns open so uh, they 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 know they the, the ones that have survived they're like 
there, there's that evolutionary gene where they're like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to stay. Yeah. That's where I'm going to live. Yeah. They're yeah. really cool. Yeah. Uh, that, I love, love the sort of the bird behavior nuance and the, the nuanced edge conversation too. That's, that's, Good. that's really cool. They, so is water a, like our streams, tributaries, anything coming down? Does that play into dusky grouse hunting at all? Spring seeps. Spring seeps. Uh, and, and so earlier in the season, you're going to have your broods, uh, females with the broods. They will be lower uh, sure. in some creek covers, some more classic rough grouse country. But um, the males typically stay a little higher. And then obviously everybody goes high later in the season. But it's it's the springs, the, the, the saddle beginning tributaries of, okay. of some of these creeks. Uh, but no, you won't. You won't see a lot of duskies down in the wet stuff. Yeah. Okay. So what about, okay, what about bird behavior around dogs or even comparing and contrasting with and without a dog? Do you Mm -hmm. find that if, if a dog is working a bird, do they have more likelihood of hopping up into a tree just to quickly escape that dog very much so okay very much so i i i hunt with one buddy ryan chapin uh and he has an awesome long-legged Brittany uh who is just a tear on these forest grouse and uh sometimes you'll come up and louie will be sitting on the ground looking right up at, yep. <laughs> you know at that at the bird and that's that's more often than not uh, for for blue grouse and dogs, obviously um, they are wild birds, and particularly if they've been hunted a little bit, they are they they do not want to. But the higher you go, the more wild places that you go. If you're with your dog, I I think those blues will jump up into a tree. But if they've been shot at a couple times, they can get as wary as any rough grouse. Sure. Yeah. So what other strategies or things do you employ hunting dogless now Yeah, when you're just out there solo? Obviously I used to do this a lot with rough grouse and this was one of the things that you and I were chatting about and kind of like sort of the different perspective you get on hunting these birds. How do you go about your, your business when you're out there without a dog? What things do you try to do knowing that this is grouse hunting and and they're going to win, you know, a lot, but what do you try to do to give yourself an edge? Yeah. Uh, I try to go early. I try to go really early uh, whenever those birds are on the ground in those first two, two and a half hours of light, um, whenever they're feeling comfortable, that's when I can catch them. Because, you know, here in Montana, uh, September can still be a hot month. And so once that temperature gets to a certain point, they're trying to get up uh, and into the shade as well. Uh, But so I go early. I walk really slow and I try to stay within the cover as long as possible. And that's why Mm -hmm. I like running ridges uh, because that's keeping me in that uh, area for as long as possible. I mentioned this in the article and this was really cool. I I, I love foraging. I I love picking berries. I love going after mushrooms. And uh, my buddy wrote an article about profiling an old morel mushroom hunter and how this guy would kind of do his head up and down, up and down, trying to find the profile of the morel by just changing his uh, the angle head of position, his sight yeah. by a few inches. Yeah, by a few inches. And my 
goodness, that is like my number one trick now. Wow. Uh, of, of trying to find, and it's the grouse head usually that I'm seeing whenever I do that. Whenever I feel, I'm like, okay, I'm in good, I'm in good cover right now. I need to get on it. I start to do that little head bend, and it's that grouse <laughs> head because they they will try to stay as still as possible, but yes. they will sometimes they're going to be moving a little bit uh, from side to side, and that's that's really the only part of their body that if it sticks out doesn't mesh with everything else i mean these birds like all like all good upland birds they're just perfect and sometimes i've shot birds and known exactly where they land and i'll and i step on them because they're so uh perfectly melded to that landscape but i definitely think that that morel uh mushroom uh trick has has killed more birds than than any of my other uh (laughs) tricks on that that's cool. That's a nice little tidbit. It's, that's kind of like the next level because everything you said up to that point are basically strategies that I would employ. You know, going early, that's something I used to do because rough grouse, they're more likely to be sort of out on the edges of trails and, and that sort of thing early in the morning. And then as slow as you can, you know, and for me, that was like as slow as you can mentally go because the slower you move, the more chance you have to unsettle a bird and sort of make it make that first yes. move, whether it's a head twitch or taking a step or two. That was the mm-hmm. only, really the only thing you could do to kind of give yourself an edge is if you could somehow make the grouse alert you to its presence before it decides to take to wing. And we all know what totally. happens at that point. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, I. It it is incredible how... Uh, how small they are, how much noise they will make if, yeah. they, if they take a step. And I, I think that, yeah, your ears, your ears are really important when you're hunting yeah. dogless. And then the other thing is to just be ready and follow your hunches. Like yeah. there are so many times where you, I think that you should always have a general plan where you go. And particularly with me, if I, if I'm not hunting with a buddy, I try to tell my wife like the general area and the general path that I'm going to go, but just follow your hunches always. I mean, a dog, you can always follow your hunches also with a dog and be like, dog, let's go over here uh, and check this out. But you need to get canine when you're out there (laughs) without one. I, I love I love that. I, that's that's kind of how I move through the woods. Like I have a general idea of what larger topography or terrain feature I want to hit. But then within that, it's just totally freestyle of sort of where mm-hmm. I'm wandering and just you know at that point use your use all five senses and and like you said, follow your hunches. That's that's very well said. Totally. Oh, good. Thanks. Uh, is there anything? Okay, so so if you're hunting with your friends and their dogs and soon to be your dog (laughs) is there anything that you specifically are going to do differently in in hunting these duskies uh i would hunt more parks you hunt more parks when you're with a dog Uh, particularly if you are like i want to try to reduce as many tree flushes as possible sure sure uh duskies when they're caught in the open will act uh like huns uh, which is really, really crazy. I mean, that, yeah. it just happened this last weekend. I was with a buddy and we were fishing and we were walking back in the evening and there was some awesome looking cover. Um, and we literally stepped on a, a, a brood of, of uh, blues and like it, it, when, when they were in this sagey opening. Yeah. 
Uh, and, and so if, if you want your dog to be able to stick some more solid points, I would stick more to the parks. Um, but you better be letting your dog work the open and you better be on the edge as well. Sure, sure. I think that that's the, that's the biggest, uh, change because other than that, you're, you're, you are going to be walking those same ridge lines, uh, but you don't need to set the alarm quite as early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pros and cons there. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's cool. All right. Gear. Let's talk mm-hmm. gear. Cause I have, one of the things you pointed out in your article, it's pretty like grouse hunting can be, can be pretty minimal, especially if you're dogless. I mean, mm-hmm. strong lungs, strong legs, and a good pair of boots, basically. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, these are, these are, yeah, they're, they're mountain birds. And so I, I you know, footwear is key. I have yeah. um, some kind of track mountain extremes. I feel like four wheelers on my, on my feet. I absolutely <laughs> love them. They're incredible. Okay. Uh, and water always yeah. have uh, yeah. good water and particularly if you have something that you can filter water as well because you want to go as light as possible when you're you know when you're having so much elevation gain uh, and so I always just bring a 32 ounce or have water in the car and then have, have some type of filtration device do you care uh, like what, what's I, I haven't done a lot of like backpacking camping that kind of like mm-hmm. is that I see these life straw something like do you use something like that or what's a what's a good sort of carry filtration system i just came across um as my buddy michael garrigan from pennsylvania shout out michael um it's called a grail Uh, it's it's a water bottle but through pressure uh there's a filtration at the bottom and so there's one receptacle that you fill up with water and then another that you essentially just push down and it Mm. filters it through force uh and you just drink it right away. It takes Interesting. five yeah. to 10 seconds. Uh, so it, I, I like that one because it is a water bottle already. And yeah. all I have to do is find some water and, and do that a couple of times and I'm set. Uh, so yeah, anybody, I, I, I think that that's a really good one. Cause I just wear a strap vest uh, whenever I'm there. I used to have a backpack a little bit more, but I, you know, the lighter you can go, the better. I always have a first, uh, a pretty simple first aid kit, uh, in my, in my vest, just in case I, I, something happens that I don't. And then bear spray, pocket knife and, uh, 20 shells, which I will never use, but you know, everybody (laughs) can hope that when you're, when you're, uh, getting ready at the rig, I need to better to carry a few extra ounces than be caught shellless. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Do you, do you know, do you happen to know how do you spell that water? I'll, I'll throw a link to it if I can, that grail. G R a Y L I think. Uh, we can always double check that after the fact. Okay. All right. Uh, shotguns that De- definitely wanted to gauge chokes, shot size. You commented on yeah, that in the article, yeah, but, yeah. but what are, what's your thought process and what do you generally use? Uh, I'm a, I'm a 20 gauge guy. Uh, uh, but I mean, I have a new 28 this year that I'm really excited to use. Ah, <laughs> and so we'll, we'll see, we'll see how that goes, but yeah, definitely a 20 just because, uh, you know, as, just with all grouse, you're you're going to be walking a lot, and so you, you don't want your arms to be dead with yeah. that twelve. Uh, early season, I like to use uh, 
improved cylinder and a mod in there. Seven and a halfs in the first barrel, sixes in the second, but that's only for September. As soon as October hits, you know, those birds, they've been getting frosted for at least two weeks. And so their feathers are changing, getting a little bit heavier. Not getting as armor plated as those pheasants can, but uh, sure. but still get a little heavier. So, And then I switched to all sixes October on. And starting at the end of October, I switched to a mod full mm. just because all your leaves are coming down. Those yep. birds will be a little bit jumpier because I've been hunting them and they, they recognize <laughs> me. Uh, and so they're just going to be getting out a little bit farther. And that is where those type of more open mature stands uh you actually can get those longer shots sure. uh you can you can get those 30 yard shots on a bird moving through which yeah. you can't with uh most rough grass spots <laughs> <laughs> awesome all right yeah so so a mix of essentially seven and a half seven and a half six shot that's yeah. that's doing the doing the job and and then chokes ic mod yeah definitely uh what's the what's the new 28 you got uh, I got the, I got a, a CZ Bob White. Oh, too. nice. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I was able to get a really good deal on on it. Yeah. I was happy. To, side by side. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love a side by side. It's <laughs> it's I'm a, I'm a big Satori guy though. Okay. Uh, and I really like Satori's, but um, a side by side's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's definitely puts a smile on my face and I, uh, I like Satori's too. So yep. we were talking about that. I was talking about that with my last guest, how we both had Satori Upland mm-hmm. specials. So. Oh, uh, great. Oh, those Upland yeah. specials are nice. I, I have a 85 Hunter grade one. Oh, really? That, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which is, um, it's pretty cherry for how old it is. It, <laughs> I got it from a, a skeet shooter in Florida. And, uh, yeah, I, it wasn't a lot of bust and brush with that thing. <laughs> <laughs> so with the 28, what's your, what's your, th- I mean, obviously 28s are popular now. I've, I've, yeah. I've gotten into shooting them in the rough girls was really as of last year is kind of the first time I went all in with it, but what's your approach with it? Are you, are you going to use it, uh, sort of in specific situ situations? You're going to change anything up with payloads and shot size. What, what are you thinking? Yeah. This is, I mean, it's going to be a total experiment yeah. experiment here moving <laughs> in. I would like to, I I'm going to get my first bird with the Satori this year, and then I'm going to spend the rest of September with the 28. Um, okay. And I think I'm just going to go full sixes at first uh with it and see if that works and i'm gonna start ic mod but i'm gonna have the full and the wrench <laughs> in my pocket in case I, <laughs> I'm like, that's not that's not really working out you here choke changing son of a gun noah <laughs> <laughs> i'm bad in that i'm bad in that i'll switch it up anytime <laughs> i love it if i could if i if I were thinking about this, and- okay, good. I would love, I would love any insight because this is the first time I'm shooting the 28. First, okay. Time. I don't, I don't want to force this on you, okay. but you might consider, especially if you're. I like the limit, the kind of ideas like, all right, September, I'm going to try this, thinking I probably have closer shots. Maybe go seven and a half, seven and a half, smaller payload, okay. smaller payload. Throw more pellets with the 28. It's going to pattern them beautifully. Okay. So go to that 
maybe stick it's it's somewhat counterintuitive okay. but stick with that smaller shot size you can have sixes in your other pocket i'm not gonna tell you to leave them in the <laughs> truck but go seven and a half seven and a half try that try throwing more pellets with the 28 and i think you might find that you really enjoy that okay okay good good i have I have some boss sevens in the 28. Okay. I'll, I'll try to find some seven and a halfs though too well, as well. Well, so. and for boss sevens, I would, that probably would be a really nice 28 okay. gauge round because their, their payload in the 28, as far as I understand, I haven't looked in a while, but it's a seven, eighth ounce payload mm-hmm. and it's bismuth, which is a little bit lighter than lead. So your pellet count is actually higher so if you're throwing seven eighth ounce payload of sevens out of the, you're throwing a lot of pellets. Yeah. I would, I would not hesitate to, to use that in both barrels. That probably okay. is a pretty, pretty good dusky grouse from my limited understanding of that, okay. you know, cover and bird, but yeah, give it a shot. I will report back. <laughs> I will report. I would back. love to hear. I would love to. Yeah. I definitely would be curious to hear your report on the 28 gauge hunting dusky grouse. I have, I have a feeling you'll, uh, you'll do quite well with it and like you said season gets later you can always you can always up that up that pellet size and and go with the the old 20 gauge so yeah good yeah. good Very cool. awesome yeah i'm really excited for it and, uh whenever i i took it out i was like oh this is gonna be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah heck yeah all right well we did we teased it we're gonna wrap up here in just a moment but but tell me about because we've we've alluded to you've got this potential of a dog on the way uh Tell us what, what, where you're at with bird dogs and, and what may come to fruition for you if all yeah. goes according to plan. Yeah. <laughs> well, unfortunately, this spring, we had the opportunity to get a really wonderful Brittany pup. Uh, but the listeners can't see, but I live in a one, uh, a, a two room. We have a living room. Kitchen is in the same room, and then a uh, and then a bedroom basement <laughs> apartment here because Missoula is very expensive. If any, if, if I've heard anyone <laughs> understands that. Uh, and so, unfortunately, our landowners, our, our landlords, were uh, uh, we we did not get the okay to yeah. to have a puppy in here, which really uh, stung because we were we were really. Uh, we were ready to, uh, ready ready. to check and spend this and, yeah. and, and spend it. My wife is a big time runner, uh, is a marathoner, and she loves running with dogs. We uh, do a lot of dog sitting. And Louie, this Brittany uh, that I mentioned earlier, is uh, Nakia's favorite dog to run with. Uh, just can really burn with her, and she's confident with with him and yeah really really good dog and so i i think that Brittany's if we're going to get a pointer is going to be the uh way that we go a nice uh medium-sized dog uh and particularly if we move anywhere else i they are amazing on woodcock they're really good on grouse uh i and and then if i do any more big country stuff they are really good in that big country Hell on Huns is what one of my buddies is <laughs> saying. Just, hell on I Huns. Love it. I love uh, it. But because I I hunt a whole bunch of I I, I hunt a range of birds. Uh, springers are also on the table. Uh, okay. Particularly for small water ducking that I do. Uh, but I also love English setters. <laughs> so, I, I, so, so we have those three, and I think that it just depends on where we move next. What type of um, 
what type of spot because our lease is up in May. So, uh, well, we, we, we absolutely love this place and, the, and our landlords are good. Just unfortunate about the puppy, yeah, yeah. but, uh, but yeah. So if I had to be a betting man, I would guess a Brittany. Yeah. Got it. I love it, man. Those are, well, those are three good choices. That's for sure. Whichever yeah. you end up with them, I'm sure you'll be happy, but that's fun. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for, for joining us on the Birdshot podcast. This has been a blast. I know you're, you mentioned you're a freelance writer. You're, you're putting articles out. Is there a place where folks could go to, do you have a website where people can read your stuff or just kind of keep their eyes on certain magazines? I, I do have a website. I've been terrible with keeping it up. <laughs> I, uh, I, I can, th- this might make me uh, keep it up a little bit more, but yes, uh, <laughs> a freelance writer and uh pretty, uh, I, I like to keep up regularly with that. So yeah. any of the fly fishing magazines, if people are subscribers, they'll see it. If people subscribe to shooting sportsmen, hopefully they'll be seeing some more uh, yeah. in the future there as well. So, yeah. Awesome. And then for, if, if we want more information on TRCP, the, what's their website? Uh, TRCP.org. There we go. Very easy. Yeah. Easy enough. All right, man. Well, once again, thank you for taking some time. This was a blast talking dusky grouse, doing a little deep dive on it. I have yet to hunt them. I really want to. And, and I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little bit more prepared today than I was yesterday, but we'll see how much I remember from this conversation when I finally do get around to hunting them, but this was fun, man. Good. Yeah. I I really appreciate it. Yeah. Come on out and I'll take you on some ridges. Heck yeah, man. Well, good luck this season. Have a, have a blast and definitely report back on the 28 cage. Will do. Will do. <laughs> Thanks so much, Nick. Thanks, Noah. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.